This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. And uh, we came from Sonoma County as a, a vacation destination also, where people would come and they would want to travel through the wine country and visit all the wineries. And it was wonderful to meet people from literally all over the world and all over the country. And so we come to the realization that here we are again in a, in a vacation destination. And, and we do uh, really enjoy ourselves here. It was amazing this morning I took my dog out for a walk and I opened up the garage and the dog stepped out and he literally, this little 25-pound uh, white and apricot-colored dog literally disappeared in a snowdrift. It's like, where did Buddy go? Uh-huh. But it's so light that you pull him out and you brush him off, and he's dry. And so we're learning all the nuances of snow here, and uh, we are enjoying this kind of snow. Just keep the ice away. Will you do that for us? Yes, yes. Well, we are in the third week of a series called Worth the Wait. We began by talking about waiting for hope, and then we talked about waiting for joy. Today we want to talk about waiting for peace. Uh, And we started the series by uh, observing that at Christmas it seems like everyone is waiting for something. Uh, But as we think about hope or joy or peace or next week love, and we think about waiting for for those things, uh, those are things that that can be very intrinsic, uh, things that our hearts long for in, in, in one aspect or another. But ultimately, uh, as we celebrate Advent, we recognize that whether it's hope that we're waiting for, whether it's joy that we're waiting for, whether it's peace that we're waiting for, um, that all of those things can be found in a relationship with the God of Advent, Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, God with us. And yet at Advent, the time in which we should be embracing Him as the source of those things, uh, it's easy to overlook Him and to forget that He is the ultimate source of what we're waiting for. Only He can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart and of our lives. And so we have to be very intentional to pause and to take time and to recognize Him. And to recognize Him as Christ the King, the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God, our Savior. And to celebrate the Jesus of Scripture. The Jesus of Scripture. For it's in God's Word that we learn the true identity, the work, and the ministry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we don't want that to go unrecognized, especially during Advent. Joshua Bell emerged from the metro and positioned himself against a wall beside a trash basket. Now, by most measures, he was nondescript. 
a young white man in jeans, a long-sleeved t-shirt, and a Washington Nationals baseball cap. From a case, he removed a violin. Placing the open case at his feet, he shrewdly threw a few dollars and pocket change as seed money and began to play. For the next 45 minutes in the D.C. Metro on January 12, 2007, Bell played Mozart, Schubert, as over 1,000 people streamed by him, most hardly taking notice. Now, if they had paid attention, they might have recognized the young man for the world-renowned violinist that he is. They also might have noted that the violin he played was a rare Stradivarius worth over $3 million. It was all a part of a project arranged by the Washington Post, an experiment in context, perception, and priorities, as well as an unblinking assessment of public taste. In a banal setting, at an inconvenient time, would beauty transcend? Just three days earlier, Joshua Bell had sold out the Boston Symphony Hall, with ordinary seats going for over $100. In the subway, in the 45 minutes that he played, Bell garnered about $32 from the 27 people who stopped long enough to listen and to give a donation. A master violinist literally went unrecognized. And I'd contend that our master Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, the Emmanuel of Advent, will go virtually unnoticed by those who may celebrate Christmas and see Him as a babe in a manger, but really fail to grasp His true identity. When that happens, people try to create Jesus and ascribe to Him their own attitudes and their own agendas. You see, it's easy to embrace the babe in the manger, but God incarnate, our Emmanuel, what do we do with Him? And so as an alternative, we work at creating Jesus perhaps in our own image, with our own interest and agenda. Dave Buchanan and I were having that conversation this morning. Uh, as uh, people were gathering, we were talking about a, a podcast he listened to and uh, how there was a pastor preaching and, and speaking and, and preaching against the atonement, uh, against Jesus who, who died for our sins and saying, you know, really it's about Jesus being a, a good man. Well, that's not the Jesus of Advent. That's not the Jesus whose life and, and whose sacrifice we recognize and we celebrate as Christians. Kevin DeYoung wrote an interesting article called, Who Do You Say That I Am? And this article is entitled, The Real Jesus. And he says, The greatness of God is most clearly displayed in His Son. 
And the glory of the gospel is only made evident in His Son. That's why Jesus' question to His disciples in Matthew 16 is so important. And here's the question. Who do you say that I am? The question is doubly critical in our day, DeYoung observes, because everywhere people are talking about Jesus, but the question is, is He the real Jesus? Is He the Jesus of Scripture? DeYoung observes, there's the Republican Jesus, who's against tax increases and activist judges, for family values and owning firearms. There's the Democrat Jesus, who's against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's the Starbucks Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid car, and goes to film festivals. Then there's Touchdown Jesus, who helps athletes run faster, jump higher than non-Christians, and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. Then there's the martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death, so we can feel sorry for him. There's the spirituality Jesus, who hates religion, churches, pastor, priest, doctrine, and would rather have people out in nature finding God within while listening to ambiguously spiritual music. Then there's the revolutionary Jesus, who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man, and blames everything on, of course, the system. The guru Jesus is a wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your spiritual center. Finally, There's the good example Jesus who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. But then DeYoung observes this. And then there's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, not just another prophet, not just another rabbi, Not just another wonder uh, worker. He was the one they had been waiting for. The son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. The one to deliver us from captivity. The goal of the Mosaic law. Yahweh in flesh. The one to establish God's reign and rule. The one to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and to proclaim good news to the poor the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This Christ is not a reflection of the current mood or projection of our own desires. He is our Lord and our God. He is the Father's Son, the Savior of the world, and yes, the substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we could ever have thought possible. That's the Jesus of Scripture. In our passage today, in Isaiah 6 and 7, 
God uses Isaiah to provide a message of hope in the midst of darkness and distress. Uh, It was a time in which Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Isaiah is a scribe and a prophet who who lived in the southern kingdom in Judah, in Jerusalem. And it was during this time uh, that the Jewish peoples were under constant threat from foreign countries and enemy oppressors. And amidst all of that, the northern kingdom had aligned themselves with foreign governments and foreign armies. Uh, And in the midst of all that, their, their kingdom was eroding and dissolving In the southern kingdom in in Judah, uh, they were worried that the same might happen to them. And and so their king led them to align with a great power, Assyria. And uh, all this was going on, and it was a dark time. It was a threatening time. Uh, It was a time in which people had turned their back on God. Uh, The leaders of the nations had turned their back on God. Uh, There had been worship of false gods. And bad things were happening, and, and rather than looking at themselves, people were looking at God and blaming Him. Uh, the one who was to be their source of hope uh, was uh, the source of blame. Uh, this is what was going on during this time uh, that Isaiah is a prophet. But in our passage today, the message of hope, is that a king of David's line would someday rule over a united kingdom and restore its full glory. The coming king is described as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Now these names and titles are significant because each describes a successful aspect of the coming reign in areas where previous kings of Judah had failed. These kings had failed disastrously. They had been disastrously advised. They were powerless in warfare. They failed to father their people. And they never achieved peace and prosperity. The passage finds its fulfillment in Christ. His kingdom is eternal. It's both present and future. His rule and reign exist today in the hearts of those who by faith receive Him as their Savior and King. Yes, He is the Prince of Peace. Through Him we can have peace. Peace with God. The Scripture says that we were enemies with God but had been reconciled through Him, God's Son. That's Romans 5.10. The men are studying that book. You know that passage. We can have peace with God. We can have peace with ourselves. That we come to the place where we recognize that through His death on the cross, that we have forgiveness of sin. And that God cleanses us of our sin. And so we can look at ourselves. We can look at our past. We don't have to live in regret, but we can live with a hopeful future because we can have peace with God and ultimately peace with ourselves. And we, like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.10 can say, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me 
was not without effect. And finally, we can have peace with others. Colossians 3.15 reads, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. And as we seek peace with others, we also seek His righteousness. And we seek His justice to right wrongs that are systemic in the world in which we live. That's all encompassing within the peace that the peace of, uh, the Prince of Peace brings. And so as we think of Christ, as we think of Him as the one who is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, we recognize that His kingdom authority is in our hearts as His followers as we submit to Him. And that we can meet Him in each of those offices. We can experience Him now in our lives in each of those ways. As a wonderful counselor, He invites us to receive His wisdom and life-changing truth. Getting back to my conversation this morning with you, Dave, there are a lot of confusing messages out there. And there are a lot of confusing messages about the person of Jesus, what to believe about Him. But we know from 1 Corinthians 14.33 that God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Later on in chapter 11, Isaiah 11.2, when speaking about the Messiah, this, this King, it reads... The Spirit of the Lord will rest on Him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And as wonderful counselor, He invites us to receive that wisdom, to go to Him, to go to His Word, to go to prayer, to listen to the Holy Spirit, and to receive counsel from Him. Life-changing truth from the one in John 14.6, Jesus, who says says of Himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. As mighty God, He invites us to rely on His power. Only He has the power to restore and to redeem us. I love Psalm 40, 1 through 2. The psalmist writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and He heard my cry. He lifted me out of mud and mire. He set my foot on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. I am so grateful that our King is a King who restores. He takes our life wherever it is. He takes our mistakes. He takes our regrets. He takes the should-haves of life and in a way that only He can. He restores us. And He sets our foot on solid ground. He hears our cry. He lifts us up out of the mud and mire. 
That is the power of the mighty God prophesied in Isaiah. Only He has the power to redeem. Again, Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as you read on and get to chapter 5, verse 6 in Romans, it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, the mighty God, who is all-powerful, sends Christ to die for you and me. As mighty God, He invites us to rely on His power. Only He has the power to restore and to redeem us. As everlasting Father... He invites us to rest in His protection and in His promises. Hebrews 13.8 It's a great verse of faith. And it's one that we should all remember. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can trust Him. We can believe in His promises. John 10, 27-30 says this, My sheep listen to My voice. I know them and they follow Me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now listen to this. I and the Father are one. We can go to the everlasting Father. And He invites us to rest in His protection and His promise. Psalm 91, 1-2 Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. They say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And isn't it wonderful we can go to an everlasting Father? That we can rest in His protection and in His promises. And as a psalmist, we can say, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Finally, As Prince of Peace, He invites us to relinquish our fears. Listen to these words of Jesus. John 14, 27. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He goes on in 16.33 to say, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Yes, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And in each of the offices that are mentioned here in our passage of Isaiah, we find a king whose kingdom is established in our hearts. A king who is accessible to you and to me. A king who longs to meet the deepest longings of our heart. 
a king who rules in our hearts, but will one day come again and rule over the nations. A day in which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. There's a piece called Next Time It Will Be Different. It reads as follows. The first time Jesus came, He was veiled in the form of a child. A star marked His arrival. Wise men brought Him gifts. There was no room for Him. Only a few attended His arrival. He came as a baby. The next time Jesus comes. That's His second advent. He will be recognized by all. Heaven will be lit by His glory. He will bring rewards to His own. The world won't be able to contain His glory. Every eye shall see Him and He will come as Sovereign King and Lord of all. That's our King. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we live in this time in which many are confused by His identity. But make no mistake, as His followers, we know that He is the one that the Scripture speaks of. We know that He fills the roles of all those offices now in our hearts as we submit to His rule and authority and in the future as He comes again. But in case there's any question, in case you, you've missed the point to this point, uh, I want to offer you uh, a very clear definition of exactly who our King is and what it means for you and for me. Let's watch this video called That's My King. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. 
He cleansed the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Uh, I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave 